Hello. Welcome to Call It Like I See It, presented by Disruption Now. I'm James Keyes, and in this episode of Call It Like I See It, we're going to discuss Juneteenth and its passage as a federal holiday, and also whether the way Juneteenth has apparently become more accepted over time in America may be something we can expect to happen with other things relating to matters of how race and American history uh, are thought of and you know, ways to teach it and so forth. We'll also take a look at some recent reports on how antidepressants in waterways may be changing the behavior of the animals that live in those waterways. Joining me today is a man who doesn't bend, break, fold, or scratch. If you scroll down his mental Rolodex, you will see these are words he just doesn't know. Tunde Ogunlana. Tunde, you ready to get it down today? I'm ready. All right, all right. <laughs> now, we're recording this on June 22nd, 2021. And last week, U.S. Congress passed a bill making Juneteenth a federal holiday. And it passed it by a landslide, unanimous in the Senate and, you know, just overwhelming support in the House of Representatives representatives and president biden signed it into law and now juneteenth celebrates or i should say it is meant to commemorate and allow for celebration of the day that major general gordon granger rode into galveston texas and this is, was on june 19th 1865 and he spread the news of the emancipation proclamation which had been issued two years before outlawing uh, slavery in the confederate states so it's commemorating the day when Everyone gets word that this is the now now the law of the land, at least in the Confederate States. And so it's the end of slavery officially. Everybody knows now in the United States. So, you know, that that's the, a day that's worthwhile to, to commemorate. You know, we celebrate Independence Day, so it could almost be thought of in it as a as a follow up to that. But it wasn't always something that had such overwhelming support. And, you know, but but recently it, it, it hasn't, you know, as recently as 2020. A bill trying to make this a federal holiday did not pass. Uh, so Tunde, seeing this holiday and also just what's what how this has unfolded in the last couple of weeks and this overwhelming support for it, what stands out to you about Juneteenth and and also just its recent passage, you know, as a federal holiday? Great question, man. Um, it's interesting. I think as as you asked me that question, it's a similar answer that comes to mind as the one um, just from a couple of weeks ago when we did the Tulsa massacre conversation. Um, one of the things that stands out to me, just like that one, is I didn't learn about this Juneteenth, um, this, what it was and what it means until I was in my 30s. Mm. So um, just, and, and, and I, I start off like that by saying that's kind of what stands out to me is that it's another example of something that seems to be, you know, somewhat of a big deal um, in terms of uh, a milestone in American history that uh, we didn't learn as part of our regular curriculum of American history. Yeah. Um, when we were just going to school, whether it be elementary, high school, or even at the university level, um, just in basic American history classes, I'm not talking about advanced, you know, uh, college uh, history degree level courses. So, well, I mean, we learned that slavery ended, but in terms of there being a day that this officially spread throughout, like the the, the final the nail the final nail in the coffin, so to speak, we do, we never learned that there was that that's something that people actually have documented and com can commemorate. Yeah, and I, I think it gives a little more nuance and texture to the history because, like you mentioned, and it's not just 
this isn't only about American history and it's not only about the topic of, let's say, slavery, but I think most of our history of humanity is taught kind of quickly and a lot of details are kind of just passed over. So this idea, like you said, we've, we, we know that obviously slavery existed in the United States and we were taught about that from a kind of basic level. But this idea that, you know, a guy named Abraham Lincoln came through, kind of waved a wand with this thing called the Emancipation Proclamation and just, you know, declared everyone free and it would kind of get this feeling like somehow it just happened, you know? And, um, well, yeah, we grew up in a time with like t national television and things like that. So to us, when a proclamation is made by the president, you don't think of the fact that everybody might not hear about it right away. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I mean. Like the fact it took two and a half years to get from the president's mouth to the last group of people on the, on the furthest Western town of slavery in Galveston, Texas, um, that's what I mean. Like that makes you think, wow, two and a half years, is a long time. You know, a lot of people had to live through getting this information kind of rolling over time and, and, and over the distance of, of like you say, the, 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 the large mass of this country. So, and a lot of stuff probably was happening over that period of time, yeah. um, both positive and negative. So it just, that's what I mean. It, it contextualizes and gives a little bit more nuance just to our own history as Americans. And I think another thing that it does, which is positive is, it, 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 it continues to break down this wall that somehow there's like this like black history and then American history. Yeah. Um, this is just American history. And, um, and it happens to be one part of a chapter that involves, you know, slavery and black people, but it's all part of our greater history as Americans uh, combined. So that's what to me kind of stood out about it. Um, yeah. Is that again, something important that I feel like I learned as an adult, not in regular history class as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, to me, one of the things that like it, it, along a similar line, like that, that, yeah, this was not a part of the normal history that I was being taught when I was growing up. You know, this thing. Now, I have learned, though, that in different parts of the country, it was, you know, like so, for example, in Texas, Juneteenth has been a bigger deal for a longer time. From what I understand, it's been for more than 40 years, it's been a state holiday in Texas. You know, and so it kind of gives you more of a regional texture, um, you know, because I guess the event they, what they were celebrating actually happened in Texas. So they have taken it for a longer period of time more seriously and or, or people may have learned about it in school. But, yeah, from a national standpoint, it's not something that really had salient. So what st stood out to me, though, really was beyond that, I think, you know, and I already mentioned that I think it's it's cool in the sense that, you know, this is kind of a second Independence Day type of thing like you. All of the the stuff that was promised, uh, you know, when in, when the the Declaration of Independence and all that stuff didn't really get wasn't even tried to be delivered to everyone else, and so this is kind of a, another step along that pathway. You can look at the beginning of it as the Emancipation Proclamation, which only actually outlawed slavery in the Confederate states, the one that that, that seceded, seceded, not the ones that the the slave states that didn't secede. It, the Emancipation Proclamation did not outlaw slavery in, but nonetheless, I mean that, that's that's a a nuanced textured point to that, that matters. But for the purposes of this discussion, you don't really need to go into it, but the, the how the emancipation proclamation and then it's final execution. So you have the emancipation proclamation and then there's this lag of time. People lived and died in that time and everything's like, that's real time. And that's to us. We look back at it a hundred something years later, like it's okay. Yeah. Two years later. And then it, it, you, you find it, but that's a big deal, you know, but nonetheless, so you, you can celebrate, the the actual act or you can celebrate when the actual act was actually 
fully implemented, so to speak. And I think it's nice, you know, that that the full implementation can be represented and, and, and be something that's part of our national discussion. And but the thing that's really stood out to me the most about it is how it's just wild to me that for so long there was just like, oh, no, we know we're not going to do this. Oh, it's too expensive to do a federal holiday. This and all these all these reasons, as I've called them you know, a lot of times before, emotion, emotional off ramps of people who just don't want to do something. They just come up with reasons why they don't want to do it when they because they could just say, I just don't want to do it. And but they don't, you know, say, oh, well, you know, federal mm-hmm. holidays, it's just too much. You know, it, it's why would we do that? Federal, they already get too many days off of work. It's like, what are you talking about? Con- Congress people saying people get too many days off of work is ridiculous because they don't work every day. But the the fact that this went from for decades, you know, people, I, I think we should we can recognize Opal Lee, who has been you know kind of at the forefront of this uh, as an activist trying to get this passed as a, as a federal holiday. Um, and that people have been working on this for decades and it's been resistance, resistance, resistance. And then like, like the drop of a hat, it's just overwhelming support. Like, Oh oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Let's all do it. And it it, just that they could happen like that to me is forget the fact that our politics has been very partisan and rigid for a while now and not much working with each other and kind of horse trading behind the scenes, but just that people can be against it. And then all of a sudden like, yeah, yeah, sure. Let's do it is amazing to me you know it's just like that people can flip like that and it doesn't seem like there's an outcry either after all of this reversal so to speak of saying okay no we're not going to do it okay yeah we're going to do it and so it makes me wonder basically if a lot of the times the fights we have over issues that are serious and are meaningful more meaningful to some than others if a lot of times the resistance we deal with are just, I don't want to give someone else their way. Like people who are fighting it don't really care that much. They're just like, no, I, I don't want them. I don't want them to get what they want. So I'm just going to come up with reasons why I disagree and we'll fight them over it. And, but ultimately I don't really care that much. It's like, it just makes me wonder like, because this, I thought people were against this for a reason. And then lo and behold, they weren't. <laughs> like, they were just, they were just saying no for a while. And so, yeah, I just that part about it, I, I'm still trying to unpack that, how it just, you know, happens automatically or happens so quickly. Just like, you know, the next day comes up and it's like, OK, yeah, sure. Well, when you've unpacked it and you got an answer, I'll be waiting. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. You yeah, might be yeah. waiting a long time, man. No, that's my point. I won't hold my breath um, now because obviously we, we can't get into other people's heads of why, you know, they they, they, they are for or against things. I think you're right. You know, that there's, I'm sure there's some psychological uh, basic level of human beings that, you know, in terms of all of us, that, that, that there's something about just yeah, not letting your opponent get something, right? Like it's, it's whether it's a bad marriage and two spouses uh, going at each yeah. other, or whether it's um, siblings that are- No, just they like, say that actually. Like yeah. when, well, I guess this isn't a divorce. Like we're talking about our political environment, but in like divorce, like a lot of times the fighting is over relatively small things and it's yeah, really it's about, I just don't want them to have it. Correct. Yeah. It's about ownership and, and this is mine, not yours. And you're right. It could be a blade of grass on the lawn, but if it's my blade of grass- you know, somehow you can't have it, yeah. um, even though once I have this blade of grass in about a week, it'll be dried out. And, you know, like <laughs> I won't I won't have any good use for it. You know, it's not like water or food or something that's 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 necessary. So I think there's, a, of course, a part of that um, 
that permeates every political probably fight, you know, in this and kind probably of just human interaction in general. Yeah. So I think all that is probably part of it. But I think, you know, there is it's it's interesting because it it's backdropped against what I think in today, let's just say literally in 2021 in the United States over the last decade, we know that there's been, quote unquote, culture wars between yeah. different yeah. sides and different factions of our political landscape. And so, yeah. You're right. With all the other kind of quote unquote culture wars and and um, racial kind of, uh, I, I hate to use the term tensions, but I guess that's what they are. They well, but all, racial um, issues, racial issues are particularly salient in the culture wars. War. Yeah. Well, yeah. and that's what I'm saying is is with all that backdropped against everything we're discussing, yeah, it 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 just is interesting that this kind of just came out of nowhere. Like it feels like it. Like you said, this this lady Opal Lee and. A lot of other people have been working hard for years petitioning um, on behalf of this holiday and getting it uh, passed as a federal holiday. But it's just, yeah, I, I, I just have speed of which and the unanimous nature of it. I mean, look, it's refreshing, right? That yeah, yeah. this this didn't become another kind of, you know, quote unquote show, you know, kind of politically and, and everyone grandstanding. So yeah. hopefully that's, you know, a show of some progress. But one of the things I wanted to mention is, you know, what this does is it, it also legitimizes, like I said, another part of American history that's been withheld from all of us. And that's what I mean, not just black people, let's say this this is important, great history for all white Americans to know um, because we share this country. So there was an article in Forbes magazine about um, about, uh, you know, Juneteenth and what this means and kind of coming from the corporate America lens. And there was a. Um, uh, just a reference to a black woman in Arizona who worked with for a large national employer and um, her name's Mrs. Striggles. And, and they say that basically she asked for Juneteenth uh, the, like the day off a few years ago. And um, she said that her, her superior who was, you know, uh, not black basically said um, you can't have that day off cause it's not a real holiday. And that, was for her, that was the moment where she left that company and started her own business. And that's kind of what I, what I realized when I'm reading that article is a lot of times in this country, what is actually important history for one group of people or one set of Americans is totally overlooked uh, by another group and considered not to be of legitimacy. And I think what happens when this becomes a, a holiday like this becomes a federal holiday. Um, what it does is it legitimizes it for the national discussion and says, no, 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 this this actually happened and this is enough that we're going to recognize it on this day. And I think uh, uh, just like the removal of Confederate statues from public places is symbolic that we're not going to honor this anymore. I think that um, just putting a holiday like this as a federal holiday is symbolic to say we're going to acknowledge that this was a part of the whole American story and not just this no, group, group story. You see what that's I'm actually a good way to look at it because what it is basically is you're incorporating more perspectives into kind of the national narrative. Exactly. And the national narrative as it has existed uh, up until this point has not necessarily had space for or allowed into it the perspectives of other groups, you know, beyond the, the majority group. And so, you're, yeah, like you said, you're legitimizing that. You're bringing it into a part of the national narrative. So it's not just something you might hear about in February, 
and Black History Month, but it's just part of American history. Yeah. It, it is bringing it into the fold, which ultimately would seem to be progress in a nation where the history does involve more perspectives than just the the perspective of the majority. Yeah. Let me say this too. also on that right. thought, because the, the you know, we see that also actually in play. And we talked about that when we talked about the Reconstruction uh, documentary, because that was an example where there was a overt effort to bring into the national narrative the perspective of the Confederacy and the perspective of the secessionists, the people who left the country. They're like, there was a, the, the daughters of the Confederacy and everything. They wanted, they didn't want the, as the narrative was taught back about this, they didn't want it to only be from the quote unquote union perspective. They also wanted it to be, or they also wanted a narrative that existed and that was maintained from the Confederate perspective. And so it's not like this is some foreign concept that you want different perspectives into the shared national narrative, or at least running alongside of the, the national narrative. Uh, so it, it, but to see that here happening in this context is, is, is I would say progress in terms of just bringing, you know, putting together a melting pot, so to speak, because that is important to bring those different perspectives. If everyone's going to have agency and legitimacy in the country. Yeah. And, and that's what I think this is what makes the America so unique. Um, well, who knows if it's really unique over every other society, but I guess the uniqueness that I see being American and, and living here, um, and our culture is this, this, you, we've talked about this in various shows. And I think recently in the, in the one we did on the hundredth anniversary of the uh, Tulsa massacre is you have this, this competing ideology in America of, of the, the words of the bill of rights and all men are created equal. And then the kind of practice of the history, unfortunately, that was, you know, chattel slavery and, 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 and dividing this country on, um, you know, racial lines, right. Of who was dominant and who wasn't. So, one of the things that is interesting to me is traditionally we know that history is written by the winner, right? Those who win wars, those who, who vanquish their foes usually get to tell the story. And the uniqueness of American history, as you mentioned, is the Confederacy lost, but somehow they got to tell the narrative of the war and what happened. And it was just, they almost like looked at as sympathetic by the American culture going forward. And so, well, it, but is, I mean, to, to one thing that should be acknowledged in that, though, just to add on, you could you could finish, but the the Confederate the people after after the Confederacy lost, there was a concerted effort to make that happen. It wasn't it didn't oh, just happen organically; like yeah, they yeah. actually really worked to make that over decades to make that happen. And so, it kind of shows the level of effort that's needed in order to do that. Well, that that shows you where those two competing ideologies in American culture. Um, Finally, and this is what I'm saying, this is all, a lot of things in the la in recent years are very symbolic, but they're important because like we're talking about, this is a, f a recognition that actually, you know, like the union won, slaves were freed, and that was a good thing, you know, making this a federal holiday because it forces us all to now have to talk about this narrative um, and not cover it up. And that's the other thing that it does, right? It, it, it brings us into new information. So couple of yeah. things I learned, right? And this is why, uh, just to go over this really quickly, why these tensions remain in these culture wars, they're so close to us. And we forget, I think, in our um, soundbite uh, economy and it's the kind of way the media is and our brains going a thousand miles an hour every day. You know, Martin Luther King was assassinated in 1968. I was born in 78. You know, that's 10 years before my birth. You know, my, my parents were alive, you know, all that kind of stuff. 
Um, and so this isn't this isn't like ancient history. Then you figure 1986 was the beginning of the Martin Luther King holiday when it was first implemented. Well, it took until the year 2000 for all 50 states to acknowledge the Martin Luther King holiday, South Carolina being the last state in the year 2000. In the year 2000, James, you and I finishing up college. My point is saying that we're middle-aged guys at this point in our 40s, but yet in our lifetime, even a decision about honoring Martin Luther King's just legacy and making that a national holiday was still being disputed by people who are still alive today. So that's what I mean is that we don't appreciate this culture and these tensions that they're just like existing and ongoing and we're fighting through them now. And that's what I'm saying is that's what makes this moment just another notch in the belt of progress Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, this is something that 30, 40 years ago would have probably not even been addressed at the national level. Like well, no, I mean, it, this, this is something up. that two or three years ago wouldn't have been addressed yeah. and wasn't so, addressed, yeah. wouldn't refuse to be addressed at the national level. Uh, and so, I mean, I, I think that the idea of understanding, you know, the, the kind of the, the telling of the nation's history and as a narrative and uh, is, is a good concept to really understand when we're having these discussions and whose perspective is accounted for or included in that the narrative or in the narratives that that are officially sanctioned, so to speak. So I I wanted to move on uh, and discuss this this article, this uh, research that we're seeing. And basically what it gets into is how now any any depressant use is widespread. You know, we can talk about America right now, but it's you know it's not something that's limited to America, but it's widespread uh, in America. And one thing's about when you're when you're doing the, taking the pharmaceuticals and so forth, they do excrete out of us. You know, like whether it's uh, urine, you know, feces, everything like that, and then they make it ultimately into the waterways. And what some uh, researchers have been studying is whether or not when you have concentrations of these antidepressant drugs in the waterways, whether that affects the wildlife that lives in those. And they found, for example, like more recent or some, some recent reporting and, and uh, results that have come out were that crayfish uh, change their behavior when in the presence of water that is uh, that has the, uh, the, the antidepressant concentrations in them. So Tunde, <laughs> I, I, there's a lot, a lot of different dire- directions you can go here because obviously in our waterways means it's potentially back in our water source for ourselves. So we can look at it from kind of a, a, a self point of view. But then we also look at it from a, a, an environment point of view here. So take it any direction you want. What's your reaction to this that there's antidepressants in the water, waterways sufficient to start changing behavior of organisms? Yeah, no, it's interesting, man. I, I, I This isn't the first I heard about the levels of chemical drugs uh, that we are prescribed that are in our um, water system. Like you said, the urination, um, dumping of, of, of pills and all that um, down toilets. And, you know, again, it sounds like a little bit if, if you just dump the pill bottle of pills down your toilets. But, you know, like you said, we got 300 million plus Americans. Let's just say a million people a year did that flush two or three bottles a year worth of pills down the toilet just because they're old or whatever. That's a lot that goes into the waterways, right? And so, um, well, that but there's that, but then there's also that, that it, it's shown that these that, that this stuff comes out in urine and stuff too, yeah, which is not even is, like it's, it's there's all, nothing you can do about that. Though is what I'm saying. Like you can tell people to not dump bottles of pills into the toilet. There's nothing you can do about 
you people you can't tell people not to urine in the in, in no, I know <laughs> that's and that's what I mean. It's just the, all these combinations of of how it gets in the system and the and the water uh, mm-hmm. stream and then into our earth. You know, like meaning then the water is used to, to to water lawns and all that, and it's in the, it's in the grass and, and 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 not just crayfish, but I'm sure insects on land and all that are exposed to these things. And that's what I started thinking about. It makes you think about you know obviously what else is out there, right? It's uh, meaning chemicals um, not only in our water streams, but I'm sure there's uh, air pollutants. Um, you know, you think about it. We live um, in the flight path of of an airport. Um, there's droplets of jet fuel falling on my roof, and every year that my community says we got to do pressure wash the roof. You know, I'm sure all that goes in my up my nose and 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 in my body. So I just started thinking about things like you know cancer for example, um, and, and other ailments that we all have as humans and how much of it might be caused by some of these artificial um, things that just get into our bodies that we don't realize. And then specifically on this one, when it talked about the change in behavior observed on a living organism, that's the newer part to me. I, I'd heard about these trace amounts in our drinking water and all that for years, but I'd never seen a study that actually showed that it has an actual effect on the behavior of an animal. And so what it did was, um, it, it specifically on this one with the crayfish, it, um, it, it basically made them more aggressive, uh, the fact they had, or, or maybe more excitable, right? The fact they yeah. had these antidepressants. So they, bolder, they spent, you know, like I said, yeah, they made a bolder and yeah. 400 times more, uh, they spent 400 times more uh, time, I guess, um, foraging for food and, and not hiding. So they were saying that could make them more um, identifiable to predators. And also could mean that they eat more of their prey than normal, which means if, if this really happened over a sustained period of time, it could totally disrupt the ecosystem where they live. So I thought that's which is similar, actually, which is similar like to what you see with invasive species where, you yeah. know, they, they the change in behavior throws everything off. And this is wouldn't even be invasive. This would just be changing the environment in a way that causes native species to throw things off. Correct. Yeah. And that's why I thought it was just interesting because we could see like, let's say, you know, researchers see a change in a natural habitat somewhere, but they don't really have an explanation why. Maybe this things like this could be explaining why the animals are just acting different. Like you're saying, there may not be an invasive species or something new that happened to the ecosystem. It's just that there's these chemical components that maybe even researchers didn't think to, to kind of like study the water and all that and, and, and how much of this stuff is in there. And then the other part that came up to me was when you say about us, like humans, um, our own mental health, you know, I, it, it just, I, I don't know if, you know, drinking tap water right now, um, or like when we were kids, you know, on a hot summer day, we'd be playing outside and you go drink from the hose. Remember those days? Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. and I don't know how much of that, you know, how much, what percentage of antidepressants is in there? Does that make a difference? But that's what I started thinking. Like, besides antidepressants, what else are we urinating out in mass? that is then going back into our drinking water and is again um uh because because the definition of of um this ssri chemical that's in this drug that they studied these i'll quote from the article uh these drugs are designed to alter human brain chemistry by increasing levels of the neurotransmitter serotonin which helps regulate mood happiness and anxiety but they can also affect the neurochemistry of many non-human animals. So I started thinking, well, that also affects our neurochemistry. So when you talk about just this one SSRI kind of chemical that there's trace amounts in the water, what other 
chemicals are there trace amounts of? And then what happens when all this mixes together inside of our brain chemistry? And so I just thought, you know, it's an interesting way to think we're altering ourselves slowly. It's kind of like climate change, like this slow moving aircraft carrier that you don't see all at once. But just like climate change, after a while, you know, it, 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 you see all the effects at once and it seems pretty scary. So let's hope that <laughs> that crescendo doesn't happen with uh, some sort of, um, uh, you know, internal thing with humans. Well, I think it's already happening. Um, you know, like I think that yeah, we right. are seeing people engage potentially in more aggressive behaviors towards one another. Um, we're looking at things like social media. We're looking at all this stuff. But if this stuff is in our, our water supply now, the question would be whether if it's in significant concentrations, but if you're drinking enough water, it depends that more so depends on how quickly we excrete it. So if it's in your water supply and you're just drinking water normally or you're cooking with it and whatever, then how much of it is building up in you to where to it may where it may change everyone's behavior or change p- people that are more susceptible. Like the two things that you actually said it and I pulled them out. But the th- two things you got to put together here is in the water supply altering brain chemistry <laughs> like, <laughs> like those two things together are like well hold on and it's it's a change in behavior of living things now that ha- we it, i don't know that it's possible to study the extent to which this is going to th- this could change just drinking it and the concentrations that are present in water supplies is going to change the behavior of a human being but that to me is is the big concern so if we're doing things that are going to alter the brain chemistry in mass of people then we're really going off the deep end here. Like we don't know what's going to happen if everybody's going to be walking around with low levels of this stuff in their system. Uh, and this stuff, the, the, the purpose of it is to change the way our brains work. And so, and then that, I mean, that could be causing more of the problems that we need to, to, to these type of things to treat. And so it, to me, it, it takes us down a rabbit hole that uh, I don't know where, I, I don't know that that ends, is going to end in a place that is a w- place where we're going to feel comfortable. And, you know, again, it's showing it the crayfish in this case or the canary It's the canary in the coal mine or, or the, the crayfish in, in, in the lake. You know, it, it's we're seeing this happen in a smaller organism, the extent to which it can change what's happening, you know, the way these things are acting. And we can surmise from that that, hey, there may we may have an issue. And part of the problem is that our water treatment plants are not set up to filter this stuff out. And so. That's kind of, you know, we're, we're missing that, so to speak, in terms of what we're doing when we're trying to purify our water or whatever. And so, yeah, uh, big, big concern. You know, we should how we see something like this should be it should be flashing, flashing red lights here, like alert, alert. Again, canary in the coal mine. The canaries over here coughing and sneezing and, and choking over here. We better pay attention to what's going on. I mean, or else we're, you know, self-sabotage. We're poisoning ourselves. And so, I mean, I think that, to me, that was the big, biggest takeaway is is in the water alter brain chemistry those two together are terrifying yeah yeah man well, so let's just say this let's hope that um I, I your canary in the coal mine analogy is interesting because i feel like you know we're all the coal miners you know exactly that's what i'm <laughs> saying we're the no coal one cares miners. if we drop dead the, the, the crayfish <laughs> is the canary and then no, that's the, what i'm saying but yeah. just like uh, unfortunately with a lot of coal miners right the owner of the mine doesn't really care about them like you know <laughs> He's like, I just care about extracting my my coal and, and 
<laughs> you know, if the coal collapses on them or they suffocate, you know, so be it. We'll get a, uh, another group of workers. Oh, my goodness. Well, if that's the case, we're in trouble. I'm just thinking that, you know, it seems like um, the pharmaceutical companies that, the, 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 and I don't want to be uh, conspiratorial, but right, they, the folks at the top don't really care. <laughs> People are getting sick as long as they sell more drugs to us to go pee in the water. Oh, my <laughs> Keep goodness. Us and then you go <laughs> pee in the water, which makes us crazy, which makes us need more drugs. Yeah, and exactly. That's what I mean. It's actually seems a like- perfect formula. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> Like, let's let them urinate, and then they're going to drink back the thing that makes it, that they're addicted to. That's, you know, you're right, actually. This, yeah, this, doesn't this, lead better than, this is better than crack dealing, man. Sure. <laughs> hey, drug dealers are drug dealers, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think we can wrap it from there, man. Uh, but we appreciate everybody, appreciate everybody joining us on this episode of Call It Like I See It. And until next time, I'm James Keys. I'm Tim Devon All right, subscribe, rate, review, and we'll talk to you next time.